That was a first. Have a cake sitting here on the, the refreshment podium. I, I blew that candle out and the smoke was wafting, which we're going to talk just in a minute about uh, smoking flax, but I remember the day that uh, Dr. Baker had uh, incense and he brought it here because he, I think he got it when he was in Arabia and um, he was going to sell the incense for some project and it was around Christmas time. So he lights off this incense up here and he obviously lit off way too much than you were supposed to light, which you would know that would happen. So this incense was just like a cloud and it was just, it was just consuming. <laughs> and it was back in the days when we had the two little pews that were up here and I was sitting over there and I was thinking, oh dear Lord, which I thought many times when Dr. Baker would do something. And that incense just wafted and then it started moving into the crowd and I could see people waving and I could, people started coughing and and it just went on and on and on. And he walked off without the incense. And it was still blustering, you know. I said, Charles, you got to take that stuff away from here. Oh. And so that was a big thing that had to, you had to figure out how to get this burning incense away. So that's the first time we had any kind of smoking thing in the natural since that day. But this was a nice one, though. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Never a dull moment. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 42. Um, <clears throat> I always love the book of Isaiah, and um, I, I appreciate Isaiah's ministry <clears throat> and the, um, the powerful way that he brought about... Uh, so many New Testament themes, and um, I, I'm so thankful for, it's, it, this book particularly is like a gift that keeps on giving, because as much as we've seen out of this, out of this magnificent writing, there's always something new that the Lord brings alive for the time that, that we're in. I, um, I remember when I was in graduate school, and I, I loved going to classes both in college and in graduate school that were taught by a man named Stanley Horton, and um, he, uh, he was such a well-known theologian, very simple man, and he even came here and taught in our um, our video school on one occasion. But he was teaching this class at 7 in the morning, which I did not, I did not want to come at 7 in the morning because I had to get to the headquarters building, which is where the graduate school was at the time. And, um, but I remember coming in there at 7 in the morning, and there were, there were 20 brave souls who were there for this study on the book of Isaiah. But 
Um, I, I do. I do remember a couple of times. Uh, Dr. Horton was kind of like an absent-minded professor in some ways. You know, he he was so intent on his scholasticism that just earthly things didn't really take precedence. And this was the man who came in one day and had two ties on. He had, I don't know how that could happen. I don't know how that could happen, but he came in, he had two ties on, and um, it was 15 minutes, 15 minutes before the only girl in the class started to chuckle, and she got up and whispered to him, and he said, oh, 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 oh. and he took the, 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 the over, the tie that was most prominently over, um, he took it off, and then we continued with the class. But I remember so many of the things that he taught about, and the things that, the breaks that he taught where they assume that Isaiah wrote this during this king's rule, Isaiah wrote this during this king's rule, and we had to do different studies to see how the spirit, well, how the, 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 the prophetic word came for that particular king. And that, that, was, a, that was a really good class. But the thing, that, the thing that astounds me, though, is how God continues to speak to us things we've never seen before, things that are, are rhema for our moment, and um, I'm, I'm so very grateful for that. So that has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today, but it's birthday. I'm still enjoying the, the fact that we've got that cake to eat. <clears throat> Yesterday, when I came for first Saturday, um, I'd been up for a number of hours. Things are kind of kind of weird at our house right now because of what Katie just talked about. And um, I, um, I, I'm, I, I just recognize, too, that where we are in the spirit realm and what our job is as saints in various parts of the world is really starting to, to crank up in, in making planning and, and even going forth to to minister, and then, of course, the events of the world that emerged yesterday with the attack against Israel near the Beersheba area, um, things are really heating up for all of us. And so I came to pray. I had been praying at home, and I almost felt like I didn't want to leave there because I was, I was feeling the Lord speaking to me, and you never... You never want to walk out of, of an encounter with the Lord expecting you're going to find it again somewhere else in an hour. You know, you want to, you want to wait on the Lord, and you want to allow Him to, to conclude what it is that He's there to do. And that's, that's, I don't want to say it in a human way, but there's an art to that. Um, you, really, you really have to understand that, and sometimes I've done it well. Other times I've recognized the hard way that oh, I left that too soon and I was uh, presumptive that uh, God would continue it during the next time of my convenience. But anyway, yesterday I was praying and I, 
I asked the Lord, do you want me to take the unprecedented step of not coming in for first Saturday or just staying here? And because um, this is important to him. What, what all of us do around the world on first Saturday is very important. Um, and so when I felt the break to come, I came and just immediately went over here and laid down and continued. And, and at one point, I asked the Lord, you know, would you show me a scripture, and I know this was inspired by him, that would identify who we are and what our mission is as the saints? Would you, would you show me this? Because, you know, we've gotten a lot of words from wonderful places, but there's never, there's never a limit with the Word of God. And I know that that request was prompted by the Spirit. And so he started to talk to me about this 42nd chapter, particularly the first four verses which we're going to read of Isaiah. And he started by talking about the bruised reed and the smoking flax. Now, I'll just tell you from a church perspective that people in churches will misuse this phrase, the bruised reed, will he not break. Over the years, there have been a number of people who have said that, you know, maybe in their midst of challenge, that they didn't get the kind of attention or the kind of um, whatever uh, social ministry. And, you know, with some people you can never give enough. And with some people, even in the midst of their challenge, their giving, it takes all kinds of people to fill a church. But invariably, somebody will quote this or out of Matthew 12, a bruise read, is not broken, you know, I've been bruised and you didn't seem to care, which didn't ever, was never true. But the point is that that plucking out of a verse is taking this totally out of the context of what God is saying. So God directed me to Isaiah 42. And when he, when, when the Spirit started to direct the bruised reed, that's the first thing I thought of. And I thought, you know, I've always known that that was a, a wrongful uh, <clears throat> association when people would get offended or whatever, and then they would begin to lash out with Scripture out of context. And so I kind of chuckled over that, because you can't chuckle when you're talking to the Lord. God is a happy God. He understands everything that you're going through. He's with you. And God laughs at his enemies. You know, there's a lot of things about God being a joyful God. And um, so uh, once that bruised reed business was over, I got the Bible and started reading what we're going to read because I do believe this entire chapter speaks about what you have been called to do as saints and it really is a depiction of what our Lord did, and uh, we are to be like Him. So if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to learn about Jesus, you better, you better start doing these things. Behold my servant whom I uphold, 
my elect in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and the smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth judgment unto truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. Now, you can continue reading this. There are some really powerful stem-winding verses that are in here, um, like verse 9, The former things are come to pass, the new things do I declare. Before they spring up, I will tell you of them. That's wonderful. And, and, that, and there are others in this chapter that are just so magnificent, but in the context it's talking about the way God moves among a people who are called to accomplish something uh, of an extraordinary nature. And I, I said that this was also quoted in Matthew 12, and before we begin to talk about the particulars, I think that it would be a good thing for us to go and read that as well. Now, Jesus is um, doing what Jesus did, irritating the Pharisees by his uh, walk of grace. And um, the Pharisees in Matthew 12, verse 14, went out and held a council against him, how they may destroy him. When Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes follow him, and he healed them all. And he charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He will not strive or cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment into, unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust." And it's noted that at that point, signified in the next verse by then, there was a, uh, a, a, a deliverance that happened with a man who was blind and dumb. And then Jesus went into a very long discussion about Beelzebub and casting out devils and um, the, whole, the whole issue of taking dominion in the strongholds. So this is, this is very interesting to me. Um, because, first of all, the idea of us as a remnant, we must see this. When Jesus said, don't make me known, he was stating, look, I've not come here to establish something that is a structure or something that would be a headquarters here. My job is to go and to basically pattern what it means to be a son of the Most High and knowing the Father. And then Jesus also did the same thing with his disciples. Go and make disciples. You go and teach them how to be sons and how to be people who will represent the kingdom here on earth. Because it doesn't make sense if we see Jesus saying, hey, don't, don't make me known, when there are crowds following him. And he's healing and 
Um, he's casting out devils, and there, there are probably, uh, to safely say it uh, without exaggerating, at least there are hundreds and hundreds of people that he's continuing to minister to at that point. So if, if it's just, hey, don't make me known, that doesn't really jive with what's actually happening there. But when you see, I'm not, and they specifically quote Isaiah 42, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to lift up, I'm not going to cause my voice to be heard in the street. I'm not building an empire here. I am not, I am not structurally establishing anything. I am doing this to teach people how to welcome the kingdom, how to know the Father, and how to represent that kingdom wherever the voice may be heard. And I, I, that, that's such a comfort to me because of really what you and I have experienced in what God is calling us to do. And we're not building a kingdom on this earth. We're a remnant. And, and it's always amazed me, and I've said this so many times, how we can be here and the presence of the Lord is here and God is showing us these deep things from the word and we can go out to other countries and, and it's like Elvis has entered and, 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 and people are just clamoring to come and they want, they want what we have. It's astounding to me. It, 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 the economy of it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because here it looks like that we are abject failures when it comes to what the church should be. But when we receive and pray and go out, suddenly there's this, this great reception and a hunger, and, and it, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. Part of this would, would be a built-in measure of humility. Part of it is to lay down the the normative way a church is historically to function um, to where you, you do what God's asked you to do, but you're going to accomplish what he wants in a way that is going to be totally for his glory. I think that's very interesting. You know, there's another, there's another verse in this passage that speaks about my glory I won't give to another. And it's, it's really talking about the fact that you're, you're partnering with my glory. You are, you are accomplishing a task that I have ordained, and it's, the glory will be upon that task. And I'm not going to do it in any other way. And um, you, you're, you're partnering with me. So um, Jesus was not, was not going to allow them to build some kind of a competing, structural, headquartered entity there. Uh, the Pharisees were wanting to kill him or destroy him. I don't know what the difference is between killing and destroying, but uh, they're both pretty bad. And they're, they're wanting to eliminate him and his message. And he said, all right, I'm aware of this. I'm not here to fight against them. Let's go away. Let's go to another place. And the people thronged after him. And, but he would not allow this unique calling to be um, locked in to a certain, um, a certain uh, sepulchral building place. 
And that's very interesting. But look at what else just these first four verses say. It first of all says that God is, behold, is interesting because that is a, that is a grace derivative. And it, it's also found in the verse right before, behold. So you have a double grace, but that's not the message for today. My servant whom I uphold. This is, this is the word for a ruling staff or, or something that is an authority. Um, the one that I'm calling is going to be functioning on behalf of my authority. And I'm going to honor that authority. But for what? My, my soul delights in him. The mind of God is, is really finding a functionality and an expression through this one. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring judgment to the Gentiles. That's interesting. Uh, judgment to the Gentiles. Here in the Old Testament, that's Mishpat, which we know is uh, the judgment of judgment and burning. It speaks about the overall purpose of God. And, and that's very interesting because in, um, in the New Testament, which we just read, it is... Crisis, K-R-I-S-I-S, which is to prophetically be able to glean and discern and to speak forth particulars of the, what God is trying to say. I, and that's what we bring to the Gentiles. That's what we bring to the Genos. That's what we're called to do when we go forward, um, to, to say, hey, what we were speaking about in Sunday school, here, here is what God has said. This is, these are the deep things of the word. And how does this, how do you glean them? How do you, how do you know God and hear them? How do you interpret them? How do you apply them? And that servant and the authority and to know the mind of the fivefold thought process of God to, to move in conjunction with the Spirit, and to teach to these nations this measure of judgment that would then go forth into the burning or the function is very interesting. And in verse 3, it says that the ultimate objective is to bring that judgment into truth, that judgment into emet, E-M-E-T, which is the fulfillment of the right hand. Um, it, it's just so interesting. In the New Testament, then, what is that word uh, for truth? Well, it's nikos, which is where we get the word Nike, which is to cause the people to, to triumph, to, for the people to know victory. Not through the demonic, not through the athletic, but through knowing God. Uh, I think that's so interesting. But to the first thing that the Lord brought this to, and, you know, at first I thought, well, you, you, you started it this way <clears throat> because you knew I'd know right where this was. But then I recognized that he was going to say something about this that we've been doing, but maybe we're not recognizing the full dynamic of why we're doing it. First of all, a bruised reed he won't break, smoking flax he won't quench. This, this is very, very appropriate for all of us because the reed there is, speaks about 
the rod speaks about the jealousy of God. It speaks about extrapolating into the New Testament, the stelos. It speaks about what it means to represent the kingdom on earth and to, um, to welcome the kingdom and to welcome whatever God's doing in the temple of the tabernacle of testimony according to the jealousy of God. And the bruised part of it here is very interesting because it, it speaks about, a no, and you can study this for yourself, it speaks about a number of points of contention, as it were. You know, this word was used to talk about the time in the Bible where there were twins in the womb and they were contending with one another. Uh, it, it speaks about being worn out. It speaks about um, being threadbare. It speaks about perforation. It speaks about um, those points of, of uh, exertion uh, toward, a, uh, toward a bringing something forth. And so when the Scripture speaks about a bruised reed, insisting that it not be broken or extinguished, it really says that this anointed one operating uh, according to the mind of God, mind of Christ, the fivefold strata of what his declaration, his blessing, his purpose is, uh, where you're moving on behalf of the authority that God has given and the spirit that is upon you. You, you recognize your mission is to expand and to teach and to demonstrate and not so much to build for not so much for you to build a continuing monstrosity of a structure. And the first thing then that this individual should be doing and teaching is about this rod, this cane, this judgment, this connective point between uh, the throne and, um, and, and heaven to earth. That's so important. Uh, because there is a battle regarding that. I don't, I don't think we recognize how much of a battle there is. And um, you, you see this, this business in the, in the Old Testament being the way I described it. But in the New Testament, the word that you use speaks about the brokenhearted. Uh, the, 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 that, that heart that is not functioning in the way that God created it to function, the steering wheel of life. You're bringing them into a, a, a proper flow and application of what they're really be doing here. Uh, now, I, I want to I tell you this, though, and I don't want to confuse anybody, because this, this bruised reed business is very important. It's from the Hebrew in the Old Testament, rasas, and it's, it's the word that is used to describe in verse 4 he will not fail or be discouraged. Discouraged is this word rasas. So with this whole concept, you're, you're dealing with not only exertion, you're dealing with the desire to bring something to birth from heaven. You're, you're dealing with uh, being exerted to the point where you wonder how much longer and you're also dealing with a factor of potential discouragement, which is why probably so many, including myself, I 
bless me, Father, I have sinned, or whatever this is, where you, you, you get discouraged. And you think, I know this is right. I know this is true. I feel all this battling. I know we're birthing something. We're, we're, we're welcoming something that God wants for this time. But man, it looks like, it just feels like it, we're not doing anything. We're not accomplishing anything. And that's all part of this, of this indication of the bruised reed, what, what that bruising is. And, um, and it says that this servant, i.e., the Lord Jesus, but then us, if we're to be Christ-like, if we're to be heirs and joint heirs, when we see this going on, we choose not to stop. We choose not to end it. We choose not to allow it to be broken to where it ceases to function, even in the midst of all of these things going on. And this is such a powerful thing which would, would indicate then Jesus' beginning of, of his, uh, the Lord's prayer, as it were, your kingdom come, your Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, that association, that knowing God the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's this reed business. It's this stelos business. And, and, and it's in conjunction with the, with the mind of God, what God has ordained to have happen on this earth. And, and that's, that's so important. Um, and I love that in verse 4. He will not fail. If, if you just stick to it, this is going to work. Or be discouraged. And that measure of, of discouragement would, would be the most potent opposition to the reed, to me. Because, you know, if you're really committed to task, no matter what the enemy throws at you, you're not going you're, you're to quit. Um, you, you're you're going to keep going. But if the battle within, if somehow he can convince you or even the natural mind can convince you, listen, it's not working out. How about if you quit this and you go off, you'll have this strange peace. Or, you know, you'll, you'll finally be at rest. It's just so much easier. You know, recently Megan was singing at a very large church near here. A beautiful place. Historic place. More money than Job's double. I mean, it's just amazing. And um, the, the choir that she was in was able to perf perform there. And it was beautiful. But this church was part of... The, the heritage that my family had in, in the movement that came over from England. And uh, I was, I, you know, you, you, it's Tobe Raw month. You know, we don't, you don't want to look at the raw. You just want to look at the Tobe. So I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to call forth the, um, the, the heritage and the anointing. And I, I got some of their literature and I started to look at, at what their prayer ministry was and what uh, what their courses that they were offering were, and and I you know I thought man this material is just slick it's well put together boy this is impressive just the advertisements of it, but I started looking through it and I thought 
somewhere along the line, the pioneers who built this place, um, who chose not to break, their, their mission that they believe they had from God is lost. And I could say that as having been part of, you know, my grandfather was part of that, my father was part of it, um, and I'll just say it, Wesley and his brother, uh, they, his grandfather was working with them. But anyway, you know, lessons on um, social justice, lessons on uh, studying the historicity of racial inequality, uh, studying how to get your prayers answered, studying, you know, just really how to find a mate. Uh, hopefully that's for people that are not married. Um, you know, and, and you know, I'm thinking, this is great, but what was the original purpose? The strange burning. What was the original purpose to go with great methods and minister throughout the world? Where is that now? And, and again, not being critical, this is my heritage. But I, but I thought, man, God, you've got to help us as we go to make disciples um, help us to keep that reed open, to keep, to keep it open. And it, it's very interesting, too, as you read through this, and I strongly encourage you to read and study through this chapter, because when it talks about the former things are come to pass in verse 9, and new things do I declare... The former things there is the word that is first fruits. It's also the word that speaks about the sharpened one, the prince that will be undeterred and cut through opposition to do what needs to be done. So when it says the former things are come to pass, it says the former things have brought to bear and accomplished that this opportunity and new things do I declare. It's not saying, okay, let's forget about those old days. You know, we got to get with the times, man. This is speaking about breakthrough, first fruits, and when you welcome the kingdom, then you continue in the measure of hearing from God, doing what uh, he is causing to spring forth, and that's every one of these things is, is important. It's the kingdom reality, but at any juncture, it can be broken. At any juncture, it, you can quit or draw off into some other thing. And um, I, I just think that is incredible. So there, when you're saying you're going to welcome according to what God's mind is saying needs to be done and he has anointed you and giving you his authority and it's a grace walk, when you're saying that and you're connecting heaven to earth, you have to recognize that that measure of being the, the possessor of heaven and earth, that word was used to describe what Melchizedek said to Abram. Um, you have to recognize that there's a cost to birthing through that canal, as it were, of the rod or the stelos, that there will be a jostling within. Even the blessing will jostle with itself. Uh, you, you, you can be exerted and wearied. The, the enemy will attack that to try to, to cause it to be aborted just through various influences. But you can also feel a measure of discouragement 
that would cause you to say enough, perhaps even at the verge of, 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 the, of, the, break, of the birthing that God is releasing. We're in that moment in so many ways. We are, we are in that moment. Now, there, I'll, I'll just tell you this. You can study this for yourself, but there's an extrapolation of this. If you use the word that is quoted in the New Testament, the law of quotings, uh, which, which, we, which, which we made that one up. But it sounds good. And it's true, the law of quoting, the law of quotations, that the Spirit who authored this knows what word he chose. So if you have an Old Testament passage that is directly quoted in the New, that's like a Rosetta Stone. Because now you can say, this is what God said in the Old Testament. Let's take that Hebrew word over into the New Testament, and we see that they are alike. And it, and it opens up in multicolor. I mean, to me, it's like those old times when color TVs were first coming out, and the NBC had the peacock, and, and it, would, it would first start with black and white, and then this flute would play, and say it's presented in living color. And all of a sudden, the peacock's feathers would turn uh, different colors. Any of you remember that? I do. I was fascinated by it. That's, that, I think that was after the one-eyed devil was allowed to be in homes. I think that was after that. So, because that was television was the one-eyed devil when it first came out. Anyway, but if you do, if you look at that, you see that this word bruise is used to talk about the God of peace shall soon crush Satan under your feet. That crushing is bruise. So there's a warfare application. If you, if you keep going with what God has, that tacos of the enemy being crushed suddenly will happen. And there's also the, um, the, the idea of, you know, taking it all the way back to the Garden of Eden where if God's crushing Satan's head under his feet, well, what was said to Adam and Eve? Or, or to, uh, to the enemy, really, in their presence. You know, your head is going to be crushed by them, but then, or bruised, bruised, and, but you're going to bruise their heel. And that really gave me an insight in commensurate with what we're talking about. We were talking in Sunday school and through this day about how that, it's, we have to believe for the miracle that the heritage of what God has shown will be passed on, that that heritage will be known and applied. And the heel, if you look at where that word is used, the heel is the, is the uh, as the army goes forward, it's what the army leaves in its wake, perhaps the establishment, perhaps the, uh, the, the, the ones that then will say, all right, it's our job now to actually do this. And that's where the enemy attacks. He will try to bruise the heel. That's so interesting to me. Isn't it to you? And it, it amazes me too then when Israel was going forward and God said, I hate, I hate the Amalekites. And I'm not going to remove the Amalekites. You're going to fight them from generation to generation. And remember what we studied about how the Amalekites fought. They were a, almost like a, uh, uh, 
what's a good word? I don't want to sound insulting to the legitimate group of this. They were like nomadic fighters on horseback that would come and attack the rear guard. They would come and attack the, 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 the ones that would represent the families or represent the young or the old. And they would attack there and then they would skedaddle. They would take easy pickings. And God says, I hate that. And, um, and you're always going to have to battle that. So if you put all these together, and you see the bruising of the heel, and you see God crushing the enemy, and you see that link with us welcoming heaven to earth through this rod, the jealousy of God, what he has wanted to, to accomplish because he owns it anyway. The very fact that we have to deal with the jealousy of God in this, hear me now, is the fact that what God established was somehow lost. And so you've got to take back what the enemy has stolen. And, and that whole business of, of bruising here with this reed is what Jesus did. It's what Jesus battled. That's why he quoted and he said, this is me. And that's what we are. That's what you are. We're, we're being given a task in these days as saints to pray that what God originally intended will be brought into the reality that he intended. To restore, to bring healing, to restoration. That's our mission as saints. That's holy, holy, holy. That's what the angels do. And, and, and it's, it's what they say. It's what they proclaim. And so this business of the bruised reed, this servant, the anointed one, which would then be our pattern and our elder one, we choose not to let that die. We choose not to snip it off and say, enough, I've had it. The bruised reed, he will not break. In no way does this passage indicate somebody that gets their feelings out of joint and gets angry with the pastor and says, you didn't treat me with kid gloves like I thought you should. But so often, it just didn't happen here. I heard people say that in Pennsylvania when I was just a little kid watching everything everybody did. It's totally out of context. But this bruised reed <clears throat> is this amazing ministry that Christ came to 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 bring about, and that we then have the privilege of moving with. Now, the next part is the smoking flax he will not quench. Now, flax here is the word that is regularly used to describe the linen, but it also describes how that would burn in the lamp. And so you have smoke, which is great today since I produced my own smoke up here with the cake that was brought up. But this truly indicates our intercession before the Lord and, and us being that, that lamp, as it were, that, that would be filled and would be ministering to the Lord in our prayers. Now, I know that the prayers of the saints are as incense. I recognize that. Uh, those are contained in vials of the God's choosing, and they're applied to that altar 
the altar of fire in heaven. I recognize that. But there's also the passage about those that are waiting for the coming of the Lord, and they need to have their lamps trimmed and ready, and they need to not give up through discouragement. My Lord delays his coming, but they need to be ready in such an hour as they think not. And the, 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 the vital importance of our remaining ready and serving the Lord in, as intercessors and, and bringing about the fullness, keep making sure that we are full. And even, even if that flicker uh, comes to the point, and we've all been there, where, where we're praying and the burden is so strong, and there have been times when we've just been ablaze, but then there are times where we think, I, I, cannot let, I cannot let the fire of the Lord of this intercession go out. As, as much as I, I am just under duress because of it, the burden is there. You've all been there. And, and here it speaks about these two things. It speaks about the reed, and it speaks about, uh, um, ideally, the, that, that lamp, uh, which is the eyes of God. But I won't go too far off with that. It's just the lamp of what we're to be. And both of them are under attack. You have a bruised reed, and you have a, a flax or a linen, which is the garment of the saints, that is smoking. It's not blazing. It's just smoking. You know, sometimes when I get up real early in the morning, I'll, I'll light a candle. And um, I know that sometimes that candle, as it's about burned out, It'll get down there, and you can just see the ember. And boy, does that thing smoke, doesn't it? And, and you think, what is it about getting down to the bottom of the wax that creates such a volume of smoke? Why is that? Now, some of you could probably explain it, but I'm baffled by it. But this would, this would indicate that you're really, you, have ex you, you are at the point where the store of your endurance and intercession is, is not dead, but you know, you know, God, you're going to have to help me um, because uh, I, I'm just about to the limit, but yet I press on. And that smoking flax is going. In both of these instances here in verse 3, both with the, the intercession representing the, the, the eyes of the Lord and the fire of the Lord, uh, and this rod, this reed, um, both of them are being taxed, but it's not going to be broken and it's not going to be quenched until, at, well, it, I don't think it ever will, but he will bring forth judgment unto truth. He will bring forth his purpose into the fulfillment of what he has said at the right hand. That is so amazing. He's going to set this judgment in the earth, throughout the earth, and the isles wait for his law. The, the, the shorelines of the places where the, the tabernacle of David in this end time, this Gentile church, those shorelines are waiting. They are anticipating. They're longing for this. And, and I, I see that this is not just us. This is, of course, the Lord. 
And it's anybody who will partner with God, accepting the, the voice of the Father to do what the Father is asking to be done in this unusual way to welcome heaven to earth and to indicate intercession before the throne according to the ways of God, according to the fire of God. And, and that judgment is over and over again, the mishpat. Why has God been, why did he say from the very beginning, and, and I knew this, we knew this practically, especially those of us who came out of the movement, we, we understand this, and I'm grateful for it. It's got to be in the Word. It's got to be in the Word. And, and we, we are rooted on that Word that will never pass away. That, that indicates that mishpat logos is there. But then God keeps showing us new things out of it. And it's, it'll never end. And, and I love this, verse 9, the former things are come to pass. Look what the first fruits people, look what the breakthrough razor, razor people have brought about. Now, new things are declared. It's going to be an overwhelming thing. And we've, but we've got to know they're going to spring forth. And before they spring forth, I'll tell you, there's that intercessory thing again. But every one of these points is battleground. It's privilege to serve God. But the enemy, he knows what this means, and he's going to attack it at every place. We're not afraid of him, but we are not ignorant. We need to know that strategy and recognize, look, this is what influences. I don't see a, a, a red imp with horns and a pitchfork, but I, I know the enemy's trying to convince to stop this. I know that my own mind is rising up saying, stop, be discouraged, quit. Um, maybe, and you can take this out of context, the former things have already come to pass. Bless God, your first fruits, you've done it. Now just sit back and wait for the rapture. Let's, oh, let someone else come and carry it on. No, you, you keep going. This is eternity. This is going to be eternity. Um, I, I just think it's so interesting. Verse 13, you read this chapter. The Lord will go forth as a mighty man. The ways of God, the, the Yahweh, is going to go forth as a mighty man. He's going to in, in, instill this jealousy. There's our word for the rod. Um, like a man of war, he'll prevail against his enemies. I have long time held what I really want to accomplish, my peace. I've been still and refrained myself. Now will I cry because it's time for a birthing. I will destroy and devour at once. I will make waste of mountains and hills. Wow. I will bring the blind by a way they knew not. It's interesting that I was looking at this and studying a bunch of parts about this and how over and over again, what we've just talked about is linked with spiritual blindness. And um, when Jesus talked about the Pharisees, who were supposed to be the guardians of the mishpat, um, and in insincerity, I think they began that way. Uh, but but he, he would equate them with blind, leading the blind. They have eyes to see, but see not. And it's it's like... How many times have we said, oh, man, I was reading a scripture, and I have never seen this before? I don't know. How many times I've read it, I've just never seen this before? 
or, or boy, God has shown so many things, but this has never dawned on me to this point, but now I see it. Um, there, there is an association with this process and people being spiritually blind. And that's why when you're preparing the way of the Lord, you bring light to the blind eyes and the crooked places made straight. It's all in conjunction with this. And, you know, there are so many, and I've said this, and this is the last time I'll say it, amazing things that are spoken of in, in these verses. Some really powerful verses, but they all line up with the context. This is what Jesus is doing. This is what he's still doing. This is what he's asking us to do. We've said, yes, Lord, and we pray that we will not quench or break <laughs> these things that are so powerful and valuable to God. And, and I just think this is interesting. From the Garden of Eden through the God of peace, the culmination of things, will crush Satan. Um, the, it, it, it's just so amazing how God weaves all this together. And then, where does Isaiah go from this? This old powerful verse that I, I remember hearing. Uh, my mom had a, an album that Kenneth Copeland sang, and he'd sing this verse, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. And God is saying, hey, when you're going forward in battle, I'm with you. You're going to walk through, you're going to pass through the waters. They will not overflow you. You'll go through the fire. You will not be burned. That is amazing. Well, what, did, what was said next after Matthew 12 talked about it? I mentioned this earlier. Suddenly there was a demonic one, blind and dumb. Imagine that, blind and dumb coming right then. Jesus cast him out. And those guardians of the mishpat come and say, hey, you know what he's doing? He's casting out demons through Beelzebub. And then Jesus talks about unclean spirits being cast out and the strongholds. So you, you have warfare, triumphant warfare, after both of the instances of this. And... Um, but for me, I would just say that we, we have to be careful not to quench or not to break. We have to, keep, we have to keep partnering with the mind of Christ to welcome the kingdom in the way that God is wanting to birth that rod, that stelos from the temple. There is such contestation regarding this. And we, we, have to, we have to remain committed no matter what's going on. And we have to maintain our prayer life. And not just our prayer life per se, but the, the full measure of it. <clears throat> to stay functional as the ones that are moving in the oil where we're being pressed out before God so that His ways and His fire can burn upon us. And we as the linen the white linen of the saints, and the righteousness of the saints, that's where the fire kindles upon. And even if we get to the point where we feel like we've expended our store of endurance and we are wondering, okay, my fire now is still there, but it's, 
producing more smoke than anything. Maybe that's an indication of the incense speaking for itself. I don't know, but we've got to keep praying. We've got to keep faithful. We can't let anything keep us or deter us or discourage us or entice us away. And we have to remember that we are that, that pillar in the temple of our God, and that's the jealousy of God, and that's this reed, that's this rod. It's interesting, too, and you can study this, that, you know, the Red Sea was really the reed sea. And so the very way that God brought Moses and the children through the waters that destroyed Pharaoh was the Sea of Reeds. And you can study that for yourself. And what's the prophetic with that? Look, folks, I'm destroying the enemy. I'm bringing you in the land of promise. And this first miracle that you're encountering here, other than the plagues, and then being able to get laden down with gold and jewels and treasures that the people were saying, here, take this, go, um, was just to go through this collection of reeds. Reeds, these reeds came up regularly at the borderlines of where the water would go out. And so that in itself speaks about breakthrough. You know, we're going in and we're coming out. I mean, it's just interesting. But that's just another thing that, that you, could, you could see. So I say this, first of all, as a thanks to the Father. I pray that this word which he gave as, as a, by my request, but I know that he inspired the request, is really a descriptive of what we're called to do in taking this message to, to the nations, to the genos. And there are people that are waiting for it. His glory will be known among them. And we, we have to remember that when we go, we're representing the Father by His authority with the Spirit upon us to demonstrate the reed and the lamp. And that's, that's the victory. That's, that's the victory in, in the topographical locations, the spiritual locations, the deposits of the glory. That, that's the victory. But we then pattern it and teach it and expect um, very urgently that they will do this. And I'm grateful for this. So let's, let's be encouraged and let's not, let's not abandon what we know God wants. And, and I'll say this last thing. That business of bruising and all that it entails with the discouragement, that's, that's, a, that's a word for many of you. Because I know... I know the pressures of the moment itself are, are awesome. Um, the demand upon us spiritually is very taxing. Um, I'm not complaining. I'm just describing. You know this. Uh, well, there's no complaint. I, got, I know you're ready to say amen to that. But the, po the point is that we cannot allow the breaking or the quenching. And it, it's only us 
that determine that. Um, because this is what Jesus did. This is what we're to do. And this is what we're to teach and impart. Father, thank you for this. Help, help us as we read this passage, this chapter throughout the day. Um, help us to learn of you. The, the, the table's been spread for us here in this chapter. It's up to us now to, to eat and to feast. Same spirit that is here this morning will be with us as we study this. And do through your word what you need to do in all of us um, for what is ahead. Thank you for this, Father. I speak your blessing over all of your people, both here in this house and in uh, the various places that are joining with us today. God bless everyone, and may we be faithful to you. We love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.